You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Today is Sunday, September 4th, and our sermon series, Romans the Declaration. Marty Solomon joins us at the Moscow campus this week as we look at Romans 13 and challenges us on what it really means to submit to the authorities God has put in place. How's everybody doing? Good. We are working down the road towards the end of the book of Romans. The last couple weeks we have turned a corner from... If we wanted to, we could call Romans part one and Romans part two. First 11 chapters of Romans is this treatise, this argument that Paul's making. It's kind of the first two-thirds of the letter. And Paul's been making this argument to a really uh, divided, ah, that might be too harsh. There's this church with all these different groups of people that are a part of it, different factions, and everybody's trying to figure out what that means. And and Paul says, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter which group you're a part of. It doesn't matter whether you're Jude or Gentile. I've been at this for thousands of years. I've been at this for two days. No matter who you are, we all deal with the same human condition. And we all deal with the same human struggle. So there's a solidarity in humanity that we all experience the same thing on whatever level we experience it. We have solidarity in that experience. So Paul says no matter who you are, you're going to experience freedom from that struggle in the same way. doesn't matter who you are. God's love and forgiveness is the same for all people. Yeah. So there's this argument there. And so Paul says at the end of Romans 11, Paul shifts into Romans 12 and the closing of Romans and says, if that is true, if Romans 1 through 11 is true, That means the only logical response to that being true is to love one another. That's the only response that makes any sense. If we're all human, we all carry the image of God and we all experience the same human condition, the only thing that makes sense is to love everybody. And by the time Paul gets done in Romans 12, he's even got to the place where he says you even have to love your enemies and you gotta leave room for God's vengeance and let God take care of those things, but our only response is to love, which raises, for the context of the book of Romans, it raises an obvious question, which I think on some level we understand. Now, on some level, we we have no idea. On another level, I think we somewhat understand. Paul's not the first one to suggest we should love our enemies, correct? For all of us who are followers of Paul, no, just kidding, followers of Jesus, right? Okay. So Jesus was the one that originally said, and he's not the first one to suggest it, but Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, first public teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, has this audacious idea that we ought to love our enemies. And I think we kind of read that and we're like, okay, on a personal level, that makes sense. On a personal level, yeah, I love my enemies. But... There's all these other levels where we just kind of, it's just kind of like whatever, like this is a free-for-all on whatever, whatever levels like, but on a, yeah, okay, Jesus told me to love my enemies, but then there's all these places where that doesn't apply. I actually had a tweet I retweeted a few weeks back uh, where one of my uh, social network people I follow said, uh, I, could, I could copy and paste the Sermon on the Mount and have people tell me I took it out of context. Um, <laughs> so we don't, we don't like the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, So Paul has this idea, but for the people of Rome, now, the people of Rome have yet to experience the persecution of, say, Nero, and they've yet to experience the persecution that's coming 50 or 60 years down the road, which will be one of the most horrific persecutions of the Roman Empire. 
So they haven't seen what they're going to see, but make no mistake about it, by the time the letter of Romans is penned, and we saw this back in Romans 8, where Paul referenced the sword and people that died by the sword, the empire is no friend of the movement of Jesus. The empire, the Roman empire, has its sword at the throat of those that follow Jesus because they choose not to worship Caesar as Lord. They have this audacious claim that Jesus is Lord. And this is a problem. And so for when Paul says in, in 12 that we gotta love our enemies, the obvious question is, well, what does that mean for the empire? What does that mean for government? What does that mean for... And so that's immediately where Romans 13 goes. Now, a couple things. Uh, I am, this, this sermon has all kinds of relevance for today, but I am not gonna get political. I am not gonna get political. I'm not gonna get political. You can come talk to me in the hallway and try to get me to get political. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Because um, there's too much other stuff at stake for us to make this about that. Not that it doesn't have... There's all kinds of stuff, but I'm going to let you wrestle with that. Don't make me wrestle with, anyway. Um, but don't make me wrestle with it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, second, I really don't want to preach this. I was really hoping I'd get Romans 14. It's one of my favorite chapters. But no, I don't get that one. I get Romans 13, which is like the one chapter in Romans I would not want to. This challenges me. It's going to challenge every one of you because at the end of Romans 13, Paul is not going to be in a place where he's going to be like, hashtag America. Okay? You like that? Cultural reference number one for the morning. No, Paul's not going to do that. This is going to run counter against all our American ways. Listen, we're, we're Americans, Revolutionary War. We don't let anybody tell us what to do when they step out of line. Like, we don't dip our flag at the Olympics. We don't blah, 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 blah. Like, we're, we're Americans, right? Okay? Not only that, we're in the Northwest. I got this, yeah, woohoo. So he said, yeah, you are not going to like this message. <laughs> Who, there, there's this, I, I have this intern from New York. His name's Kevin. I've been trying to, is he here, is he here yet this morning? Kevin, you out there? Come on, don't be shy. Nope, he's not here yet. Okay. Hopefully he comes to church today. <laughs> kind of a part of your internship. Um, but Kevin's from New York. I keep trying to explain to him the culture out here. And I'm like, listen, you can just leave your highfalutin, northeastern, New England culture back where you came from, because this is a northwest. Like, okay, first service laughed at that. Like, we came out here to get away from that. You're in the northwest now, son. Like, we do things our own way. Like, we don't even make laws that tell you you can buckle your seatbelt. Like, no siree, Bob. We are rugged individualists, right? There. So there's this thing. You, we are not going to like Romans 13 if we read it correctly. All right, good. All right. Somebody up here said, let's do it. She can blame her. I was going to get out. I was just going to be like, so never mind. Romans 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, let everyone be, be subject to the governing authorities. Now, I know what we want to do. We want to add a but or a unless or a 
accept to however. We want to add, let everyone, let's just let the Bible be the Bible this morning. Let everyone be subject to the government. And guys, listen, this is Rome. Okay? This is not, they won't put Merry Christmas on the Starbucks cups. Like, I'm serious. I'm serious. You guys are having a fun time this morning. We, I don't, the stuff that we call, we call persecution in our culture. And I'm not talking about you personally. Some of you are like, some of you, some of you have stories. Like, you know what persecution feels like. Some of you have been like abused. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about culturally. Like culturally, we don't understand persecution. This is Rome. This isn't like, oh, we're so persecuted because we're losing our privilege. No, no. No, this is something else. And to them, Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And in case you didn't catch it the first time, Paul's going to basically repeat it. This is called Hebrew parallelism. Where he's like, in case you didn't catch it the first time, I'm going to say the exact same things. Look, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's a chiastic inverted parallelism where Paul's like, I didn't stutter and that wasn't a mistake. Somebody just talked to me out there and was like, you know, when I think about this, I think about that old Western movie and he, I'm not sure which one it was, where the, where the woman comes in, they're having a big bar brawl and the woman comes from behind the bar with the shotgun or the 30-30 or whatever and blows a hole in the ceiling and they kind of all stop and then she blows another hole in the ceiling and then she's like, the second one was to let you know the first one wasn't a mistake. I wasn't sure how that joke was going to work. <laughs> but this is that. This is Paul saying, I, that wasn't a mistake. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We're going to come back to that in a moment because Paul is using a very rabbinical argument here. Let's go next. Uh, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do wrong, those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. There's this idea here that, do you want to not have to worry about the people that carry the sword? Don't do wrong stuff. Don't do wrong stuff. Then you, then you won't have to worry about it. Now again, this is spoken to the Roman world. There was this thing that happened a few months back that really had me like, I was challenged and I had to grow through this. Remember when the iPhone FBI thing was going on, the privacy thing? Remember that? The FBI wanted to get your phone. Should we let them in the phone? Blah, blah, blah. There was all this like blog post and really good conversation. By the way, it's not that the conversation is bad. I totally get it. I totally get it. I want to have the conversation about how far should the government be able to get. I want to have that conversation. That's really good conversation. I want, this, is, this has nothing, this is not socio-political commentary about uh, police brutality or anything. These are really useful conversations that we need to have in our culture. Am I crystal clear on that? That's not what I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I should have nothing to, you want to get into my phone? Get into my phone. I should have nothing to hide there. I, now, the conversation is good. 
that we ought to have those conversations. Not saying we should stop. But at the end of the day, I should have nothing to hide. Police want to search my car? I, there's a wonderful conversation about whether or not police, when they should. I, wonderful, love it. At the end of the day, even if they're, at the end of the day, I should have nothing to hide in my car. Search my car. We should live the kind of lives that have nothing to hide. We're going to come back to that. The, for the one in authority is God's servant. Really? But what if that other man or woman wins the election? Well, then it changes everything. Then Romans 13 doesn't stand. <laughs> for the one in authority is God's servant. Hold on. We're going to come back to that. For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. He says it again. Ah! Paul, come on, brother. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, which the Jews would call law works, but as a matter of conscience, what Jews would call faith works. Now, I want to go back to this idea that Paul went to at the, about the authorities have been established by God. Because Paul's not the first one to talk about this, and nor is, who else has talked about this before Paul? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Very good. So I want to go back to Matthew 22, which is one of the places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about this same issue. Now the Perushim went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, th this is a really interesting setup because Pharisees and Herodians are coming to trap Jesus. Listen, Pharisees and Herodians are on two opposite ends of the linear spectrum, okay? They are not, they, they don't see the world the same way. The fact that they're working together tells you Jesus has really upset the status quo for everybody. Does that make sense? So they, they're working with the Herodians to go, to, here's why. Because they're gonna pose a rabbinical debate question to Jesus, and no matter how he answers, he's gonna make one of the groups angry, and he's gonna be in trouble. He's either gonna make the Pharisees angry and they're gonna be able to get him, or he's gonna make the Rodians angry and he's gonna lose favor with all the people. So the Pharisees are like, we got him. No matter how he answers, he's stuck. Okay, let's keep reading. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, <laughs> kissy, 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 my goodness. Tell us then, that first service left with that joke a lot more. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. Now, this is the new NIV trying to fix a translation issue and they're doing a decent job of it. King James has nailed it for a long, long time. Uh, this is not, if your Bible says, is it right to pay taxes? Incorrect, incorrect translation. This is not about taxes. The Greek word here is kensos. Say kensos. Kensos is not taxes. Kensos, the King James translated as tribute. Okay? This has nothing to do with taxes. This is about tribute. Now let me explain tribute in the first century. In the first century, there was what was called a tribute coin. Every year, Rome charged you an annual fee. It was the kensos. 
You pay the kinsas and Rome gives you or sends you the coin. You carry this coin around kind of like a receipt. And there are different places in the Roman Empire where you can go and hand them the, the coin. At, I paid the kinsas and they give you incense, which you can then offer on the altar and worship to Caesar. It's like their, their Roman version of patriotism. But you get your coin by paying the kensos. Do you understand the problem? So the rabbinical debate is, can we pay the kensos? They're asking Jesus, do we pay the kensos or not? Now, first I ever started answering right away. I was like, boy, you better watch yourself. <laughs> you guys played it a lot closer. Now, there were two schools of thought in the Jewish world. Can you remember who they were? Shammai and Hillel. Good. Shammai and Hillel. Shammai, remember his yoke was about obedience. Jesus always cited against Shammai except for one time. We'll talk about that some other time. Uh, always cited with Hillel. Jesus always did. Shammai's yoke was obedience. Hillel's yoke was love. Do you now understand why Jesus sided with Hillel? Okay, Shammai said, you cannot pay the kensos. Can't. That's idolatry. The kensos, the, the coin, the tribute coin, my teacher who taught me this lesson had the actual coin from that period of history, from that region. It was the right coin. On it was an image of Caesar and a phrase that talked about how he was divine and deserved worship. Okay, I have a tribute coin from a different era in a different region that has an image of Caesar. On it, it says the worship son of a worship God is the inscription, okay? Shammai said, that's idolatry. You cannot pay the kinsas. The answer is no. You do not pay tribute. Hillel said, it's not quite that simple. And he went back to the text. And he went to Jeremiah 27, which is where we're gonna go here. Now, in order for you to understand Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah 27 is gonna be talking about Nebuchadnezzar. I think when we study biblical history, we're like, oh, the bad guys and the good guys, and who really cares? No, 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 no. Nebuchadnezzar was the Hitler of their day. He's the guy that's slaughtering tens of thousands of people. To give you an idea, Saddam Hussein was very public about wanting to restore the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Iraq sits, sits right on the capital of the ancient Babylonian empire. He was going to reinstitute the kingdom of Babylon and the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar if that gives you any idea of who Nebuchadnezzar is, okay? Nebuchadnezzar's not like, oh, he's kind of a bad guy. No, Nebuchadnezzar was the most brutal, ruthless ruler of that period of Middle Eastern history. He's not a nice guy. I will not tell you from the pulpit what he's going to do to your children, to your daughters, to your wives. Not a nice guy. Not just from the other political party you don't like. No, 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 more than that. More than that. Listen, give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. God says, the whole earth is mine and everything in it. 
and I give it to anyone I please. And I please to give it to Nebuchadnezzar. He is my, did you see the servant part in there? He's my servant, which is what Paul hearkens in Romans. Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I'm accomplishing my will through Nebuchadnezzar, even though you can't, you don't understand it. I don't understand that. I don't understand why God would use Nebuchadnezzar to get his purposes done, but he says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. I don't have to clear my intentions through you. Uh, thank you. I was like, oh. Are you sure? Yes. God does what God wants to do. He's accomplishing his redemptive purposes in ways that make no sense to us. That, and that's not a fun truth because Nebuchadnezzar was a horrible dude. But God says, I'm going to give, I'm going to, it's my world to give away. And I, so Hillel said, if God gives it to whoever he pleases, then when you pay taxes, you're just giving back to Nebuchadnezzar what God decided to give to him for whatever reason. I don't understand it, you don't understand it, but if God gave it to him, you're just giving back to him what God said, I gave him the world. Okay, I'm just giving him what God decided to give him. So the word was render in the King James. Render unto Caesar, what does that mean? Give back. Give back. Some translations will just translate give, but the actual phrase means give back. Okay, we're gonna give, so, what does Jesus, whose side does Jesus take? Now, when Hillel said that, he wasn't completely silent, but he was kind of weirdly silent on the, do you use the coin? He just said, pay the kensos. He didn't really say like, and, no, 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 no. He just said, pay the kensos, which probably makes a little of a, some of us squirm. Jesus takes it a step further. Listen. Going back to Matthew 22. Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you upokritas. What? It's just fun to say that in the Greek. <laughs> Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying that, which I love that. They're on the temple mount. It is illegal to have Roman currency on the temple mount, according to Jewish law. That's why there's money changers. Because on the, on the Roman coin is an image of, it's, it's idolatry. There's an image of Caesar and an inscription saying he's ought to be worshiped. So before you can go in the temple, you have to take all your Roman currency and exchange it for Jewish currency. So they're on the temple mount. And Jesus is like, well, somebody give me the coin. And they're like, okay. Oh. Yeah, busted. That's like somebody being like, Jesus, what's your position on pornography? And he's like, well, hand, hand me a Playboy. Okay. Well, we know what your position is, but we still don't know what Jesus' position is. So I can just imagine Jesus smirking as he grabs this coin. Thank you very much. Hey, where are we right now? Interesting, okay. <laughs> and he says, whose image and whose inscription is on this coin? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, so give back. He takes Hillel's position. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Get back to Caesar. Pay a stupid kinsos. But give to God's what is God's. But don't you dare use that coin. Do you understand? Pay Caesar a stupid tax. But you can't use the coin. Whose image and whose inscription are on you? Give him his coin. Do not give him you. He doesn't get 
you. When they heard this, they were amazed. Because remember, it was a trap. And now he has just affirmed and challenged every group in the room. Because the Pharisees are like, yeah, don't give them your worship, but pay the kin sauce? The Herodians are like, yeah, pay the kin sauce, but oh man, do you know how uncomfortable our life's gonna get if we don't do the tribute thing? Sadducees, Essenes, doesn't matter who's listening to that, everybody's gonna be like, yeah, but oh, that. He just stumped them. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. They're amazed, so they left him and went away. Let's go back to Romans. My point being, Paul's not the first one to like come up with this idea. This isn't a suggestion. I, I just pause there because I think far too many Americans read the Bible like it's a suggestion we ought to consider. It's, we'll come back to that. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. That people are due certain things. How many people hate their boss? Don't raise your hand because he might be here. She might be here. Okay? It, your boss has a certain level of respect and honor purely because of the position they have. It doesn't matter how much you don't like him or her. Or her. Or her. Sorry. I think, I think that, that would be a big problem for some of us. Well, I don't like her because she's a woman. Well, get over it. Anyway, the commandments. You shall not, no, sorry, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, I love this. Listen to this. Tell me where these commandments are coming from. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever command there might be, because Paul all of a sudden can't remember. <laughs> he can do all kinds of incredible remezes, but he's like, you know, and whatever else you might come up with. <laughs> or is he doing that on purpose because he's alluding to something? Where do these commandments come from? Ten commandments. Ten commandments, how many tablets? Two. Five commandments on the first tablet. The first tablet has to do with creators. Okay? It's about people who have authority over you. First four are God. The last one is your parents. First tablet's about authority. Second tablet is about fellow creatures. First tablet is about creators. Second tablet is about creatures. So he just said love one another, and so he goes to the second tablet and quotes every law but one. Well, let's see how many of you are better in first service. Which commandment is missing off the second tablet? Lie, thank you. You shall not bear false witness. By the way, that should convict us that we ought to probably read our Bibles more. Those are the 10 commandments. You know, the ones that we all fight should be in the courthouse and everything, and they should be plastered everywhere, only we can't even remember what they are. Those ones. Okay? So, you shall not bear false witness. Now, let's go back one slide. Paul's saying, if you don't love your neighbor... You're not telling the truth about who they are and who your God is. You're bearing false witness. If you don't love your neighbor, even if they're an authority, if you don't give everyone what they're due, 
You're saying they're not a fellow human being. They don't have the, fe- the, the human condition. You don't have solidarity with them, and you're lying. Doesn't this sound like John? Whoever doesn't love is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Paul's doing the exact same thing by leaving the commandment out. If you don't love others, you're a liar. Oh, dang it. And whatever other command there might be are summed up in this one command. They're all summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. Sounds like Jesus. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. Paul says, we've got to do this because we understand the world we live in. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Now, Paul uses an image that's common in rabbinic teaching, which is we live in a broken world. That's the night. But God's kingdom, the kingdom of God is coming It's here and not here yet. We can see the sun rising. The day is almost here. So we've got to do this right because the day is coming. The sun is rising on the horizon. Is that the posture you have in life? Don't answer. Because I find we have this, oh no. It's nighttime and it's just getting darker. I don't think the sun's going to rise. I don't think the sun's going to rise because, oh, have you watched the news? The sun's not rising. Paul says, I can see the sun peeking over the horizon. We have got to do this correctly so that the world sees what God is like. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify, gratify the desires of the flesh. This is hard. This is hard. I know, I know that this is hard because I made all my conservative friends mad and I made all my liberal friends mad in the first service. I made them all mad. That means this is hard. This, this, that means this is hard. Because there's sides. By the way, I've become, this is, I don't know why this fits here, but whatever. I've become acutely aware how sometimes this message gets construed as like we, we don't support our military or we don't support vets or we don't support the truth or, or the, not the truth, uh, um, our troops. Uh, n- not at all what this is saying at all. In fact, I have these, these students, these alumni that went through the ROTC pro, uh, program and they work for intelligence back in Missouri. They're both stationed in the same spot right now. We have all these conversations about what does it mean to follow God and work where I work? And we come back to Romans 13 all the time. Do we need people in those situations shining light into dark places? Ooh, Nelly. Do they have to every single day follow orders? This is hard. This is hard. I don't know how to sort all this out this morning. You'll notice our implications we're about ready to go through are like way up here. Because this is hard. The Bible should be hard. It teaches hard things. 
It shouldn't be easy. I've heard far too many sermons on Romans 13 that are easy, that just mean blah, blah, blah. No, this is hard. I don't know how we apply it all the time. Let's find out together. But let's let it guide the conversation. Okay, we need to move towards the Lord's Supper because I'm five minutes late. So if our servers want to go back and get that prepared, if you're visiting with us today, uh, and you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have an open table. That means you are invited and you're welcome. Please join us because you are family. Um, just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it all together as a family here in a moment. All right, first implication. I love this one. It's really simple. I love it because I wrote it. <laughs> but it's really simple, and I like that because I, I think it's really profound. Listen, listen. We ought to trust more in the plan of God. And I'm not going to get political, but let's say the man or the woman that you just can't stand wins or whatever. I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Maybe you hate them both and the world just, we ought to trust in the plan of God more. I don't know why God does the things that he does and why he hands the kingdoms of the world to the people he hands it to, but however this shakes down, and we should do everything we can to be a part of that process and shape it appropriately, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't turn out the way that you want, God still sits on his throne. We, we ought to trust in the plan of God more. That means we ought to quit sitting around complaining, whining, bickering, trying to figure out how the world will ever come back together. I know how the world will come back together. God's in charge of it. We ought to trust in that more. I don't know why he'll give it to Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe this year both of them are Nebuchadnezzar. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that no matter what happens, God's in charge. And, we'll, and, we, and our call, our call is irrevocable. It will remain the same. Next indication. We ought to beware of the times that we begin to feel entitled. Remember that iPhone thing and the FBI and, the, and there's this thing that rises up inside of you that's like, well, my rights... That's a good conversation on some level, but the problem is, is that posture, you can't, it, it cannot coexist with the posture that Jesus called us to have, which is a posture of self-sacrifice. I cannot seek self-protection and self-interest and simultaneously say, I'm giving up my self-interest on behalf of other people. You cannot do it. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot do it. So we got to be aware whenever there's this thing that rises up inside of us about what I'm entitled to and what my rights are because God says, lay your rights down if people can see God. Lay them down. If people will see Jesus, lay them down. So I may not want to launch some massive campaign about I'm gonna say Merry Christmas at Starbucks when they ask me what my name is. Ha 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 ha. Joke's on you, Starbucks. Because I'm not sure that when they see that, they're like, oh, that's Jesus. <laughs> I think when they see that, they go, oh, you're a jerk. 
And Starbucks is funny, but I think this will start to hit us in places where we won't be like, <laughs> I think this will hit us in places where it's like, ooh, hmm. I wish it would hit our Facebook accounts. Moving on. We ought to be people who walk in the light, living lives that are above reproach. We ought to be people where there's nothing to hide, where the way that we walk shows the world what God is like. That men might see your good deeds, Jesus said, and glorify your Father in heaven. Or Paul has said, or Peter. Seems like they're all in accord here. Live, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We got to be people who walk in the light because the day is coming. And when the day gets here and the sun has fully rose, we want people to recognize God when he comes over the horizon. Last implication. Give to others what is due. If respect, respect, submission, debts, physical debts, monetary debts, spiritual debts, metaphorical debts, allegorical debts, love, acceptance, grace, compassion. There are people that deserve certain things in our life because of who they are and the role that they have and for whatever reason, God's placed them in our life in that role. Give them what is due. But give your worship to God alone. But give to your boss respect. Give to your parents honor. And I know that means things for some of you. I get it. That's rough. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. Give to the elderly some level of respect for crying out loud. Respect, respect, honor, debts, but give your worship to God alone. So we held in our hands this thing. You know, uh, 150 years before Jesus, they had a practice called breaking bread. Breaking bread does not refer to communion. It's a part of communion later, but it predates communion. Caesar used to go on these, and the Greeks as well, but Caesar took up this idea called bread and circus. He would go all throughout the land handing out bread as a way to say, see, look, I provide for you. See, I'm the giver of bread. I'm the one who has all the benefits. I'm the one that you should honor and worship. And for centuries, God's people got together and they took a piece of bread and they broke it as a subversive political statement. Caesar does not give us bread. Caesar is not Lord. God is. And later, the Jesus followers said, Jesus is Lord. So part of what we do when we break bread together here with the Eucharist is we make a statement that should rock us to the core because of the idolatry that's in our hearts. But we make a statement about who's Lord. We also hold in our hands an example of the posture that we ought to have. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It looks like this. That night, Jesus had a Passover meal with his disciples. He taught them many things, incredible things, things about the Holy Spirit, things about salvation and deliverance. He was betrayed. He went to a garden. That night, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body 
take and eat. And whenever you do this, remember me. Let's remember the way of Jesus this morning. And later in the meal, he took a cup and he was gonna speak about covenant. And covenant is an agreement, a relational agreement where the two parties understand this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're up to. This is what we agreed to. This is the mission. And later in that meal, Jesus took a cup. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. Drink from it, all of you. And whenever you do this, remember the mission. Let's remember. Father God, I pray. Well, God, we love you. I pray we would love you more because there's a lot of things in our hearts and in our lives that battle for preeminence and they battle for our worship and they battle for, God, we wanna love you more. So I pray that the broken bread would be a subversive statement to our own hearts this morning. It would confront the things that you want to confront. I pray you would, you would remind us this morning as we drink the cup, I pray you would remind us of those relationships in our lives where we need to give them what it's due. At the end of the day, God, I pray we'll give our worship to you alone. But I pray that we would be reminded that we worship you in the way that we love other people as well. So God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, who we declare in the midst of everything else in this world is Lord and God. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback, you can send an email to comment at liferotp.com or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter at liferotp. Romans, the declaration will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.